want you to think right now of a person, a person you've known in real life, a person who has had a big impact on your faith. Somebody who's had a big impact on your faith. Who is that person? Call up an image of them in your mind. What did they do that showed you that they loved God? What did they say to you? How did they show you what it means to live life as a disciple of Jesus? I'm thinking today about Helen. You know, I can't even remember Helen's last name. But I can picture her. I can picture her sitting in her office at Emory University. The office walls were a deep yellow. That's much less important than her last name. I'm sorry, Helen. I can't remember your last name. But she had lots of comfy couches in there. She had a rocking chair. She had candy. And she had lots of other stuff that's helpful for a pastor near a college campus to have. She was an associate pastor at the United Methodist Church next to Emory University. And the most important thing for me was she was my mentor during the ordination process uh, for a year. And what that meant was Helen listened to me. She had a formal role to play figuring out, as I was figuring out if I wanted to be a pastor or not. She had forms to fill out occasionally, but what Helen really did was she listened. She listened whenever I came into her office. She listened without agenda, without judgment, without being in a hurry. Her office was a place where it was okay to ask questions, to complain about school, to be confused about life, to search for answers. She was so patient and humble and easy to talk to. She had this deep love for, for Jesus and this love for the church, but she never pushed me in a particular direction, not me or any of the other students to whom she served as a mentor. She trusted that God was going to help us find our way to where we were going. Helen embodied for me the deeply open, welcoming, patient love of God, and she helped me find my way into a lifetime of service to the church. So that's who I'm thinking about today. How about you? Who has helped you know the love of God? Who has shown you what it means to follow Jesus? When I ask this, this question in a small group setting, I often get questions like, well, I'd say the, the most common answer I get is my grandmother. It seems to be number one for faith examples, my grandmother. Maybe someone says, I watched her read the Bible every day. Or she took me to church all the time, and then we'd go home and have a big family lunch. Or sometimes I hear someone say, it was, it was a parent, my dad, he gave me a dime to put in the Sunday school offering every week and two dimes on the week of my birthday. Or my mom, she was always making food for people who were sick or who were hurting. She just wanted to help care for people. Or maybe someone would say, it's my spouse. He always prays at the table, giving thanks to God and ask, <coughs> asking for help for the people we know who are hurting. Whoever it is that you're picturing in your head right now, thank God for them. I thank God for them with you. These people that have shown us what it, what it means to love and to follow God, do you know there's another word that we can use for them, and that is witnesses. They have been a witness. 
They have been a witness to God's love. They have been a witness to Jesus' effect on a life. They have been a witness to faithfulness, a witness to you, and a witness to the world. Now, witness is not a word that I heard very much growing up in church. I don't know if this was true for you. But for me, it was a word that belonged to other kinds of Christians, not United Methodist Christians, or at least not the kind of United Methodist Christians we were. Witness in a religious context, witnessing to Christ, that was a word that belonged to the kind of Christians who would carry their Bible prominently around with them everywhere so everyone could see that they had it, or the kind of people that would knock on a front door of a house and ask if the people inside had been saved. Those were the people who were into witnessing, and I was not that kind of Christian growing up. So witnessing to others about faith, that was not anything I was interested in. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Not at all. I mean, not at all. Okay, so when I joined the United Methodist Church at my confirmation at the end of seventh grade in 1989, that happened to be the same year that the new United Methodist hymnal came out. That's still the one that's in your pew, by the way. That's the new United Methodist <laughs> hymnal in 1989. <clears throat> but in that book are written the questions for membership. You can find them on page 38. I stood up in front of my church in a hideous pink floral dress with a big white collar and shoulder pads. It was 1989. But I stood up there with all the other seventh graders in my confirmation class, and I was asked, will you support College Hill United Methodist Church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? And we said, yes, we will. If you grew up in a Methodist or United Methodist Church, you probably did something similar. And we still, we have kids in eighth grade still stand up here and do that. But did you catch that the question I was asked in 1989, it only had four parts to it? Prayers, presence, gifts, service. That was the question. And that's still a part of the question. We've talked about those four parts of the membership promises in the last four weeks. And then in 2008, just 13 years ago, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church voted and they added a word to our membership question. They added a word. Did you know they could do that? Only they can do that, but they can do that. And they did that. They added a word, a fifth word, and it was this scary word. They added this scary word, witness. Now the question reads, will you support this congregation with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And all of a sudden, United Methodists all over the world were told a key part of belonging to a congregation is to give witness to our faith to witness to Jesus. Does that mean all of a sudden in the summer of 2008, United Methodists set out across their neighborhoods knocking on doors and asking people if they were saved? No, it did not mean that. It did not mean that at all. What it meant was it's time for us, it was time for us to reclaim that word witness and to figure out what it means for our way of being Christian in the world. Now, witness is a great word. It's a word for us to embrace, not primarily because the General Conference of the United Methodist Church said we should, not just because it's in the hymnal, though actually it's not in the hymnal. If you look, yours was printed before 2008 and it's not in there, but in the new copies, it's in there. But we embrace it because it's actually a word that Jesus gave to us. 
Jesus asked us to do this. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the first chapter of Acts, this story of the early church, the resurrected Jesus, he appears to his disciples and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That's what he tells his followers. They are going to be his witnesses. That's why General Conference added it to the membership questions. Will you be a witness to Jesus, along with offering your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? Yes? Okay. We'll do that. We just have to figure out what that means. Now, I don't think we have to make it complicated. I don't think it has to be dramatic. I want to suggest that in the United Methodist context, bearing witness simply means we're no longer afraid to talk out loud about God. That's it. Let's sometimes talk out loud about God. Now that sounds easier than it actually is. Because I, I know you, United Methodists, and we have a hard time talking out loud about God. So much so, Methodists, they like to repeat this quote. Maybe you've heard it. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You ever heard that? Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. We like that quote because it seems to say that you can live your life in a certain way, in such a way that it wouldn't even be necessary to say out loud anything about the gospel. We could live in a way that proclaimed Jesus and not have to talk about him, which we like, because we like to keep our faith private and personal and tucked away, out of sight, not bothering anybody else. Often when people quote that, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, they attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi. Problem is, he never said it. He never said it. In fact, I don't know who ever said it, except for somebody who wanted to sound... Uh, I don't know, smart. <laughs> St. Francis, actually, he was a very powerful preacher. He preached a lot out loud. He used words. <laughs> Historians say that he sometimes would preach in up to five villages a day, often outdoors. In the country, he would speak from a bale of straw or a granary doorway. When he was in town, he would climb up on a box or up the steps of a public building. He preached to any who gathered to hear the strange but fiery little preacher from Assisi. And in reflecting on this misattributed quote, uh, Dwayne Lifton, who's president emeritus of Wheaton College, he said, really it's not a great quote because it's impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. What he means is to really share the good news of Jesus with somebody else, we have to talk about it. The amazing news we have of what God has done in saving and reconciling the world, it's something worth talking about. And I think we often, we don't do it because we don't want to bother people. But what if the people around us won't be bothered? What if instead, when we give witness to God and to who God is in our lives, instead people will be lifted up? People will be encouraged. People will be inspired. You know, we've been turned off by all those people who want to take witness and 
make it an excuse to be pushy and overbearing and in, in the face of other people. But there's nothing in the Bible that says, would you please be obnoxious when you give witness to God? Jesus never said, if you could really just annoy people when you go around trying to praise God, that would be great. No. Witness simply can be about sharing what we know to be true. It doesn't have to have an agenda. It doesn't even have to get some kind of specific response out of the other person. Being a witness, it simply means a way to, to share the goodness of God in our lives. You know, just like we would share with people around us if we found a restaurant we really liked, or if we were excited about our new iPhone and the great camera it has, or, or if we found a great deal on paper towels at the grocery store, we'd go around telling people about that stuff. Well, what about this good news? The love of God in our lives is a whole lot more important than those things, so why not also give witness to the goodness of Jesus? Talking out loud about God, it doesn't mean we have to pry into somebody else's faith life. It doesn't mean we have to ask them invasive questions. It doesn't mean we have to put pressure on them about anything. It just means that we're not afraid to say out loud to other people that we love God and we know God loves us and God is active in our life. Now, if we're still not sure about how and where to be a witness, I want to suggest today that we can also think about witness like praise. We can think about it like praise. What it means to witness God is simply to praise God out loud, which praising God, that's about as fundamental an action as the Bible ever asks us to do. Praise God, praise the Lord, not just silently in your heart, but out loud. We are to praise God. In fact, the whole world around us is constructed to praise God. We see this in the psalm for the day. It's another one of these hallelujah psalms. Just like last week's scripture, this set of psalms at the end of the book that just raise a gigantic praise to God, celebrating how the whole world gives praise to God. And, and we see this in the beauty of creation. You know, people often tell me that they feel closest to God. When I ask them, where do you feel closest to God? They say, when I see a beautiful sunrise or on the beach overlooking the ocean or in the mountains. You know, and the psalmist, too, he thought all those things give praise to God. One commentator said about this psalm, praise is the business of all that exists. So the psalmist says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and cattle, creeping things and flying birds. But it's not just the mountains and the trees and the animals that praise God. We, too, people, we are called to be in this great chorus of praise. So he says, kings of the earth and all people, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together, praise God. Professor Beth Tanner writes about this psalm, that it stands out from the others, in part because the praise doesn't begin with the people. In fact, the people don't get involved in the chorus of praise until verse 11. She says, it's as if there's a praise party out there and we're the last ones invited. But praise, I think, is a form of witness. If the mountains and the trees are giving witness to the glory of God, why not us? 
You know, when we look back at the lives of our saints, part of what I think makes them an inspiration to us is to see how they lived out their faith over a lifetime, to see how they worshiped, how they gave their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, their witness, how they gave that to help build up St. Paul's and to glorify God. These blessed ones that we named today, they taught Sunday school and they sang in the choir and they attended committee meetings and they cared for this building and they made food and they prayed prayers and they shared with others the goodness of God in their lives. They gave witness. They gave witness. And in so doing, they helped shape our faith. They helped our faith to grow. They gave witness, and like them, we can too. So my challenge to you today is to give witness to God, but I'm going to give you a specific way to do it, and that is by remembering a saint. By remembering a saint. Take a moment to tell somebody else about a saint in your life, somebody who helped you to love God. Who in your life has shown you or still shows you what it means to be a follower of God? Tell somebody else out loud about that person, and by so doing, you will be giving witness to who God is in your life. You can tell a member of your family. You can tell a friend. You can post about a saint and what they have meant and how they have shaped your faith. You can post about that on social media. However you choose, bear witness to the love of God that that you saw in that person, and in so doing, you will bear witness to the goodness of God, and you will praise God to the world around you. My prayer is that God will continue to give us places to bear witness, and the wisdom and the courage to do so. I pray that God will help us share out loud the goodness of God and God's love with those around us. And we don't know, that might be just the word of help and support that the people around us most need. Thanks be to God.